0: Back now to Paul's head to Philippians and to chapter 4. Philippians 4. I'm we can read two verses around which will be framed what we'll be saying this evening. Here's verse 13, first of all, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To your God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we know that Paul was in prison in Rome when he read this letter. And when we read the letter, it does give the impression to us that his mind was wandering quite a bit. That as soon as he thought of the Philippians and began to write, then his letter takes us in directions that perhaps he did not expect himself when he began to write, and certainly that we would not expect. And even in this section itself, we can see that he said, Finally, my brethren, twice within these two chapters. At the beginning of chapter 3, we hear him saying, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then we read at verse 8 in this chapter, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and so on. It is as if he's wanting to close the letter and then he has a sudden inspiration to to write something else to them. And and such was the way in which he he saw this church and other churches anyway. They were close to his heart and he saw needs that that, that unfolded before him uh, the closer he became involved with them. And that gives us the beauty of this letter here. But when we come to this stage in the letter we do understand that he's actually come back to the very purpose of the letter in the first place. And that is that he wrote this letter to thank them for the gift that Epaphroditus had brought to him from them. And when we see him in that prayer in in chapter 1 where he prays for them because of his love for them and that their love will abound more and more, He goes from there and launches into their different experience and their different needs. And finally, he comes back to the purpose of his letter. If you and I wrote that kind of letter, people will be wondering, what on earth is is this person saying? Can he not just get to the point? But the point is, he had so many points to get to before he came to this closing section of the letter. I want to look at this section this evening and see what happened to Paul and the things that he wrote in this section. And we, we do see that because of the gifts that he received, that these gifts were, were, were a reminder to him of their relationship with him. Indeed, in verse number 10, we see the way in which he is in prison in Rome, and he sees that they revived their concern for him. Was he wondering if they had lost their concern? Was he wondering why nothing came from Philippi? But when the gift came, it was a blossoming, a fresh blossoming of their relationship with him and his relationship with them. And it is from that sense of, of the blossoming of their relationship with him I knew. it is from there that he gives us these closing words in this letter. And from these closing words tonight, we we want to see from them, and to hear from them, a plea for confidence in God's provision. We want to see, first of all, that we have contentment in this passage. And we want to see that that contentment arose out of his relationship with them. In verse number 14, we read, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. You see, the way in which there's that closeness and that that love that he has for them, he, he sees that reciprocated in this gift that has come to him. It was so kind of you to share in the trouble, the trouble that he had because he was now in prison in Rome. The distance was there. And now they have an opportunity To remind them, to remind him of that relationship. And he sees nothing but but kindness written all over it. That they were willing to to share in his trouble. And it's so wonderful to have that sense in life that we are not isolated in our trouble. That we don't isolate people who are in trouble. But that we use every kind of practical way of, of ensuring that there is no such thing as isolation and that instead we, we see kindness and love blossoming anew in the hearts of, of those who are around us because of, because of our needs. That's what he felt and he felt that especially out of the exclusive way in which, in which they were those who sent him gifts, that's what he says in, in verse number 15. No church entered into partnership with me, except you alone. This church, this congregation, was, was unique in the way that they showed kindness to the Apostle Paul. It's no wonder then that, that they had so much of a place in his heart for them. They were the only ones. And we tonight can, can, can reflect on our ministry and a ministry that from the beginning to its end, it's, it's one that is exclusive in so many ways because it is exclusive certainly because of the, uh, the length of it and the progress of it and the way in which God has sustained that over so many years. But Paul wants to see and wants them to see that there's a friendship here, that it is a friendship of grace and that is a friendship in the gospel. And he speaks of giving and receiving. And in, in the Roman context and culture, the giving and receiving wasn't simply what we give to each other. These were words and terminology that, that were used, especially, especially in commercial transactions. And these commercial transactions took place in the in the context of each person having an account. So you have your account and I have my account. And there is giving and receiving. And there is giving and there is credit. There is receiving and there is that banking up of, of what is received. It was more than simply a, a, an exchange of gifts and that whole idea be became, in, in the Roman culture and context, it, it became a relationship that was a friendship. And it's close to saying that friendship was contractual. And when we come to think of the gospel, that's exactly the kind of friendship that we have in the gospel. It is contractual. It's, it's based on, on our shared faith in the Lord Jesus. And the moment that we come to be united with the Lord Jesus in a personal relationship with Him, there is a contract. There is a contract with Jesus Himself. We are committed to Him, but as soon as that union takes place, we are contracted to each other, and that's what Paul wants them to to hear. That in that His relationship with them, He wants them to see that contractual sense of the way in which they're bound together. And, of course, she wants them to, to see, I think, two things in that relationship. He wants them, first of all, to see that this contractual relationship, it's a relationship where there are three parties. It's triangular. There's him and them. There's Paul and the Philippians, and the Philippians and Paul... But that relationship only exists because of the high relationship that Paul has with the Lord Jesus, that they now have with the Lord Jesus. And within that triangle, they are contractually bound in what is a living relationship of friendship. And we see when we read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that Paul sees this very act of giving, that he sees it as a grace. And he encourages the people in Corinth to think of the Philippians here, to think what they did in the midst of their affliction and extreme poverty, that there overflowed from them a huge amount of generosity that was proof of the genuineness of their love. And he says to the Corinthians, see their example be motivated by that and prove the genuineness of your own love and be those who grow in this grace also. And that's the kind of friendship that, that Paul began to consider in this prison house in Rome that inspired him to speak of contentment. And it's so good for, for ourselves to To think of every element of that relationship. Why was Paul encouraged? Because their giving to him was more than a gift. And their giving to him was in actual fact an expression of grace. And so when he is saying that they revived their, their concern for him. And he sees their concern for him blossoming. What does he see? What he sees blossoming is the grace of God in their hearts. And so that as he prayed for them at the beginning that their love would abound more and more, he is seeing it in the very gift that he has received from the hand of Epaphroditus. He sees their grace and the genuineness of their love in all that they are doing. And he sees that from the very beginning, he says in verse 15. From the time he was there when they came to know him in the gospel, and came to know the gospel, until he left Macedonia and went to Thessalonica and went to Berea in Acts 17. And from the first day until now, he speaks of in chapter 1. It is a friendship of giving. Giving that is a an indication and evidence of the grace of God in their hearts and as proof of the genuineness of their love. And looking back, we can reflect on that, out giving to one another, out giving to one another in the gospel, the grace of giving, how it can be the means of, of stirring up the heart of the other person and stirring up in a, in a sense of excited at the sense of, of the way in which the love of Christ is, is shown in the very act of giving and the way in which Christ himself is seen in, in the grace with which that gift is given. And looking back over all of these years, the the expressions of, of such gifts and perhaps at times the, the absence of the expression of such gifts, but it's the gifts that, that are so often part of, of giving this sense of contentment. And the same looking forward, the, the importance of recognizing the, this relationship that Paul had with his church and they with him, that, that who, whoever is minister of a congregation will, will sense this, the, 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 the giving of the people of God, will be moved in such a way to, to glorify Christ and to rejoice in the grace of Christ Because there is that ongoing blossoming of the love of Christ in the hearts of the people. The friendship that caused him to give expression to to these words in verse number 13. In verse number 11 he speaks of learning in whatever situation that he is in to be content. That is to say... Whatever his circumstances are, he's learned a lesson. We read in Hebrews chapter 5 that Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Paul is suffering in so many different ways and he's learning from that. He is learning the lesson of contentment and it's reinforced receives that letter from them and then he does make this great statement, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What does he mean by that? He is not saying that, that we can go away and say, I can do everything and anything out there through Christ who strengthens me. That may be the case. But what Paul is saying is That he can do all things through him strengthens me in the midst of his suffering whatever the circumstances are he has learned he knows what it is to be brought low and to abound he knows what it is to face plenty and hunger abundance and need whatever the circumstances are whether he's up or down whether he's poor or rich whatever he is he can do all things in the midst of these circumstances. And that's contentment. And that's the kind of contentment that he wants the church in Fulbright to discover. And it's that contentment that we tonight want to share in and discover for ourselves. And the contentment that we want to encourage one another in that you can. Do all things through Him who strengthens you. It's not being self sufficient, it is being Christ sufficient. And that's the beauty of contentment. And we may look back and marvel at the way in which, in high points and low points, we learned so many lessons. But we'll learn the lessons so that tonight, going forward, going your separate ways in different directions, that we may have this contentment, the assurance, and know that wherever life takes us, and it will take us to trials, it will take us to times of need, it will take us to to times when we cry into the presence of God, when we cry into our own laps because of what God is doing, but we need to learn the lesson that, that in these moments we can do all things through him it strengthens. We can work our way through all of these. We never put our hands up and say we're quitting because that's not what happens. In the school of suffering, in the life of faith, there is this important lesson that we learn that we get strength in every time of need. And let's be encouraged by that. To have confidence in God because no matter what, God will not let us down. So there is that contentment. Secondly, we want to see that there is consideration. And the consideration is twofold in the passage. We want to see, first of all, consideration from the perspective of Paul. What does he have in view? He cherishes their gifts. All that he receives from them. But he wants to assure them that he is not speaking with regard to any lack that he has. Instead, in verse number 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your account what is he searching for? He is in the prison house in Rome. They are miles away. We wouldn't blame him for looking for their gifts continually in order to supply his needs. But he's not seeking that at all. He's more interested in them. And going back to the relationship of friendship, of the giving and the receiving, whether it's that kind of commercial transaction where there is an accumulation of credit and where there is a banking up of, of what is received in that relationship. What Paul wants for them is that the fruit that increases to your credit. He wants them to have credit, accumulated interest in the account of their giving. And he wants that to accumulate along the whole of their lives so that when they they come into the presence of God at the end of their journey, so that the prayer that he prayed at the beginning, that that God would, would bring them pure and blameless into the presence of God in the day of Christ, so that in that day, they will have banked up so much credit because of their giving. And in that sense, his interest is in how they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and how their credit will show, will there be a credit or debit on their account of giving in that day of the Lord. And he prays and longs more than anything that they will have a huge amount of credit because he wants them to continue to accumulate this credit every day of their lives so that when Jesus comes to judge he will have joy in them that he has seen their hearts blossoming with grace throughout the whole of their journey and therefore that he will reward them at last because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you visited me, all of, of these senses of giving that in that great day, that they will be recognized as those who were givers because of grace, and who understood grace in its giving, and who so gave to the people of God in such a way as to be rewarded in the day of judgment at God's throne. And tonight, that's my interest for you and and, and your interest for me. The gift in itself is, is important, but what is important is what the gift shows and what the gift is doing. And so that as, as you go forward from here, that in every step that you take day by day, that there that will be that accumulation, that the grace of God in your hearts will be a grace that will show itself in that kind of giving, to give the people of God, to give the minister of the congregation, to, to give the servants of Jesus Christ, to, to to give them that sense which will stir up in their hearts contentment and that sense which will show that you are building up that credit. And what a a beautiful thing it is that everything is brought to the level of of the, the judgment seat of Christ and that for you going forward as you journey on to that day that you will have your own credit rating and credit score and that you will be marked up because of your faithfulness to the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus, the grace that is now in your heart. There is the consideration of that perspective in all of our giving. It should be a means of motivating and, and of encouraging and of increasing that sense of what we owe to each other in the name of the gospel and alongside of that that sense that consideration and that perspective of paul he wants them to consider the perspective of god and ultimately that's the important thing what does god think of what we're doing or what we're not doing what is god's assessment And here he he speaks in verse number 18 of of the, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. When And all of the, the gifts that they give, they, they arise into the presence of God with a sense of the aroma that, that stirs up the delight of God. Noah gave a sacrifice when he came out of the ark and, and God smelt the pleasing aroma and he promised that he would never again destroy the, the earth with a flood. We see repeated in the book of Numbers and in, in Leviticus the way in which sacrifices are acceptable to God if they are offered in the right way and, and according to his prescription and then there arises up into his presence that, that pleasing aroma and he accepts the sacrifice and in a sense it is, it is what God smells with all respect from the gifts that we give what God sees in them and what arises before him. There was a sense in, in the Greek world, where, in, in the pagan world, where perfume and, and aromas were, were the means of, of stirring the pagan God into life. Of course, that's not what's happening with God, but it gives us an indication of the way in which God and his being is stirred up to have have pleasure in in the gift that, that Epaphroditus brought to Rome from the people of God in Philippi. And surely and ultimately all that we do, we seek to do in such a way as to make it pleasing to God. And so everything is given in sincerity Everything is given without holding anything back. Everything is given with a sense of our indebtedness to God for his grace. And in that moment, the God before him, we're building up credit according to to Paul's prayer. That same God finds delight in our giving day by day. And that the pressure that, that he has in what we give to one another that it is something that stirs up, that awakens in Paul this, this whole sense of the expression of, of his own contentment, that there he sees God in their gift and sees that if it's pleasing to him, more importantly, it's what's pleasing to God. The consideration, the two aspects of the, what we consider in our giving that we do so as those who recognize that we are going to judgment, that we do so recognizing that God takes so much pleasure in our giving and in the way in which our grace and our love is expressed in our giving. So there is contentment, there is the consideration, and finally, there is confidence. Verse number 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. The Paul who is in prison in Rome, who is writing this letter, who is moved by the gifts, is the Paul who knows his God. My God. There's that 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 sense in which we, we understand the whole expression that, that that Paul uses here. My God, it's, it's the the kind. It's a, it's a genitive in, in the Greek language, and the genitive speaks first of all of the of the social origin of something. Something comes. It's the grace of God. It's it grace that comes to us from God. But uh, the the same. Genitive is used in in the sense of possession or ownership. And Paul is is able to say to them, my God. His confidence in God himself. And he is the the Paul who who writes to to this church here in Philippi and who introduces himself as, as the one who says in verse number two of chapter one, grace to you and peace From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a personal God to Paul. He became personal to him on the road to Damascus. He speaks of that in in writing to the Galatians. The the God who who set me apart before I was born. And met me on that day on the road to Damascus. And called me by his grace. The God who was pleased to to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My God. He was my God on that encounter on the road to Damascus. And knowing him as my God, who sent him to places like Philippi, he had that persuasion and that urgency and that obsession and that burning ambition to, to serve this Christ And to bring the gospel to them. He's my God because of the way in which He brought me to know His grace. And He's also my God because of personal experience that that He is the God who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And His personal experience of that God, we read it in different parts of his letters as he describes his experience of God. In Second Corinthians chapter 1 he speaks of my God being, being, being the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in our affliction. He's learned the lessons here. He comforts us in our affliction. For example, the affliction that he experienced in Asia when he was despairing of life and utterly burdened with, with a sense that he was Suffering beyond his strength and beyond what he could bear. So much so that he felt he had the sentence of death in himself. The God who comforted, who came alongside in that time in Asia. is my God. He's my God who proved to be my God when he saved me by his grace. And he's my God who proved to be my God in my personal experience of him. In every step of the journey of faith, whether in prison or in preaching the gospel to all of these churches whom he served, my God. And only the person who has that experience of God can encourage others to have confidence in God. And tonight we, we want to encourage one another in the Lord as those who know him as my God. That that in all of these years, the different ways in which the grace of God which came into our hearts and the day that we are born again, the way in which that gracious God proved himself reliable, the comforter, the one who's with us in every kind of circumstance, that that is the God that we have confidence in. And only then can can you and I say, my God. By the grace of God, I say tonight, my God. By the grace of God, you can say, my God. And by the grace of God, we want all of us to be able to say, my God. That this God is your God. And that you have learned that because of every different way in which you experience life. And that when the very things that you thought were going to separate you from your God, that they were the very situations which reinforced your confidence to make this God your God. And so tonight you you can take the words of Paul and you can take the words of the Word of God and you can say... My God. And what confidence does Paul have? What has he learned? It is that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. He'll fill up everything. When the cup is empty, he'll fill it up. He'll supply every need. I need that, that's a word that speaks of, of not just having a lack, but a word that speaks of crying. It's a lack that leads to crying and weeping because of a deep sense of, of the fact that this lack exists, that there is something missing, that in all of these moments along life's way, Paul, my God, would supply every need of yours, and what an encouragement that is. That when you cry, God will supply. That whatever has emptied your cup of experience and you cry, then God will supply. Fill that up again. That's, the, that's what the prayer is saying, and reflecting your inner experience. Lord, my, my cup of experience is empty. I've lost its, its, lost, lost its contents. I've lost all that I received in this cup of experience. And I'm crying to you and, and please fill this cup again. My God will supply every need of yours. Beautiful encouragement that when you cry because you're empty that God will come and that he will fill And that he will do so according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. There is no other way but the immeasurable riches of the grace that there is in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks in writing to the the Ephesians of the immeasurable richness of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The the unsearchable riches of Christ which Paul was called to preach. There is an overflowing abundance of the, the possessions that, that God has, what he set apart in, in, the, in the storehouse, which is the person of his son. So that in all of my crying, and because the cup is empty, that he fills my cup of experience. Because in in the whole of the fullness of of the passion of Christ, in whom the, the riches of God dwell in their fullness, that from Him that flows out from Him into my cup, into my experience, His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. They are glorious riches, they are riches in glory. And they are the riches which enable uh, Paul to to give expression in this passage that, 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 that my God, who will supply every need of use according to his riches in Christ Jesus, is able in, in this kind of majestic way to speak of, of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And as we close this... Paul in, in, in writing to, to Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians 8, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I know Paul. Paul says, I know, you know, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though being rich for our sakes, he became poor. In chapter two of this letter, he emptied himself, took upon him the form of a servant, He emptied himself. His cup of experience was was empty in, in that cry of forsakenness on Calvary's cross. But he did so, so that through his poverty, you might be made rich. And so, in all of Paul's suffering, he was able to look at the way in which Jesus suffered for him. And the way in which the cup of Jesus was emptied. And the way in which he came to a situation of poverty in order that he, Paul himself, would never come to such poverty. And tonight, let's close with, with that, that sense of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. The rich one becoming poor so that we could be made rich through his poverty. My God. Shall supply all of your needs from His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He has done it before. The unknown will unfold before us week by week, month by month, year by year. But we have this confidence in this God that He will fill our cup, that He will supply every need, and that we will learn day by day how rich He is in grace and however great our need might be, that we will discover not only the greatness of God, but the magnificent greatness of the cup of salvation that never fails to satisfy us and to meet with us in our need. The encouragement, the plea for greater confidence in God, and let's be encouraged to go forward trusting in Paul's God, in my God, in your God, this God that will, to all that he has promised so to do. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we do rejoice in you as the great God that you are. We are thankful to you that you are more than the God of the people of God in the sense that you have also become our God and that we can indeed address you as my God and to my Father this evening. Help us, O oh Lord God, to understand what all of that means. Help us to understand it in our personal relationship with you. Help us to understand it in our personal relationships with one another. And help us to be encouraged in the Lord, to be content in you, to be free from anxiety, and to trust in you day by day as a God who will surely bless and who will surely make rich with your grace in every time of need. Hear our prayer and accept us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.